Welcome to the Extra Podcast. This is episode number 280. Joining me around the table is Pastor Jeff. Hi, Greg. I think it's just me today, buddy. It's just you it's and just me. You and me. You, me, Bishmu in the booth. That's right. This is, I don't want to say it's going to be the best ever, but it might be. It very well might be. A lot, there's a lot of chaff that's been blown away oh my in gosh. this podcast. You know what we're going to find is that the other two seats are completely redundant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or not? Or not? Where, where's Where's Andy? I think Andy is uh, somewhere in uh, Texas still. Oh, okay. And Kyle is in Colorado now. Yep. And Paul Ezra? is at a location that I I don't He's know. He's somewhere. He's in a meeting. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Ezra is. He has to be at the mission campus today. Right. So it's just the two of us. And there's last, a song like that, isn't there? Yeah. But last week. No one was Yes, here. and we have to apologize for that. We were in, uh, most of us were in uh, San Antonio for the Evangelical Theological Society meetings, and uh, we suppose we could have done a podcast from there, but we were busy hearing people debate issues regarding the Trinity and other stuff like that. It's uh, kind of theological geek stuff, so it was fun. It was great. Uh, so last week, because there weren't, Real people yep. recording the podcast. It, we had the Bishmu. Is this number two of the robot? Number two. Of the second the, time we've ever North ever had to do the Northview robot, right? Which, you, yeah. So you download the podcast, yep, and you you start listening to it, and it yep. says nobody's here. Right. I'm the robot who's taken over everything, right? Yeah. So we had a an email from one of the people that go to our church and they're Missionaries. serving overseas for a, a season. And they just want to let us know how uh, upset they were again about the it. second time for the yeah. robot. Yeah. Well, we, we apologize to you and all those out there who, all four of our listeners, we are sorry for that we were not here, but rather the robot was. Yeah. One of the exact quotes was that I just don't think that a missionary is supposed to be sad or mad ever. Totally. And we made them sad and mad. They're joking with us. Yeah, I'm not sure. In this, yeah, in the did, email. I'm, somebody should have told them ahead of time that that's actually not the case. Right. Yeah. Well, we'll email her back. Yeah. Um, hey, so, Jeff. Greg. Because there's no one else no, here to right. ask this question of. Uh, in between podcasts, I, I think there was an election mm. that took place. I seem to remember something about it. Yes. Right. Yeah. So we got a few questions actually about, right. about politics and about the election right. and uh, one of the kind of the, the summary, a way to kind of sum up the, the conversation or the questions that were sent in, um, and I'll throw this question out to you as an American, is how can we respond to other Christians who hold different political views than us? And how yeah. do we reconcile when we've said things that we're now embarrassed about because of our commitments right. politically? So let me answer that a little bit, the first part with a little bit of a story. So we were down in San Antonio this last week, and then uh, a few of us went up to Dallas to visit a few churches. Every time we go, some of our staff goes to other parts of the of the world. We tend to go and visit other churches just to see and uh, learn things from how they're doing stuff. Sometimes they've uh, done things in ways that are different than us, sometimes the same, but they've been doing it for longer and have learned kind of how things are working out. So we'll go to, I mean, we'll go to all sorts of different kinds of churches different doctrinal beliefs, different whatever, but, and we'll just see how it is that they manage their facilities and how it is that they, they, they do their staff stuff. And 
So it's great. We went to four different churches this weekend. One of the churches that we went to actually, there's a little, there's this, I was walking out of the church and uh, this little, this little kid, when I say little kid, like nine years old, he comes walking by me and on his lapel of his, of his coat jacket, which I was a little bit stunned at because, well, the church, this particular church that we went to was very formal. Hmm. Um, and this little kid, nine year old, he had to have a suit jacket. Right. Which I think when he's 23, he's going to be like, hey, don't like that. I'm not ever going to a church. Like, Or maybe he was. He is. But on the lapel of his shirt jacket was a cross, a Christian cross. And inside the Christian cross was an American flag. Hmm. And I immediately turned to Ezra, who was with me, and I said, you need to buy me one of those. <laughs> because it was... Uh, Remarkable. So here, here, the reason I say that, okay, oh. so some people, the same church, they had like an American flag on the stage mm-hmm. and then a Texas state flag on the stage and the preacher preached right between these two. And this, the preacher, if I mentioned his name, you don't know him. And so here's, here's the thing. I think it's very easy in the United States, uh, something I, I've known for years, even when I was there, but more so since I left. Um, I think, I think that it's very easy in the United States to merge the cause of Christ with the cause of your political party or nation. And in the U.S., nationalism is a real I- issue. And I say issue both in a positive sense, right? You, you, it's good to be patriotic, right? We're thankful that God gave us Canada to live in. We're thankful we God gave us the United States to live in, or New Zealand in the case of my kids who are New Zealand citizens, you know? But um, at the same time, we're also really... Uh, recognize that whenever we go to church, whenever we, we, we recognize ourselves as Christians first, right? So I'm not, I'm not an American Christian or a Canadian Christian. I'm a Christian who happens to live in Canada or the United States and has citizenship certainly in those countries. But my primary citizenship is with God. And when I gather together with God's people, all tribe and tongues and nations, right? Underneath the roof of the local church, we are of another kingdom. It is an outpost of another kingdom. It is an embassy of another kingdom here. And we drop those tags and labels. Hmm. This is one of the reasons why I really appreciate the Anabaptist emphasis in the years, years gone by. And certainly I hope now that we don't, we don't uh, pledge allegiance to any particular nation or state or things like that. We recognize that uh, while we're here anyway, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's the primary thing, Hmm. right? We're going to spend eternity together with these people. So I don't know, that should affect, I mean, how do you think it affects your politics then if you think it that way, Greg? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a way to to engage uh, without placing our entire hope in the outcome of it one way or the other. There's, I think it's your your enthusiasm or your despair is always tempered as a Christian when it comes to politics. Yeah. And the political part, it was funny about the, it's interesting you say that the enthusiasm is like, I'm always shocked when Obama came into the presidency, the language of hope Mm. and hope for a post racial America was very real. People would say stuff like that, right? No, we got a black president. He's going to end up making it so that nobody, that everybody gets along. So there was all sorts of hope around that, maybe about his policies that he was going to bring in after George W. Bush, a Republican in the U.S. There was like almost a messianic language around him, right? Even the imagery that was used to to advertise for his campaign made him look greater than life. The way that some people even have treated him as untouchable in regards to satire or anything like that. He, He is the transcendent one who's going to bring us into a new 
age. Well, you know what? That didn't happen. It didn't even come close. In fact, he was easily as um, fractious as George W. Bush was, who also came in with that kind of hope, right? After those Clinton years, finally, we get a guy who's going to do it for us, you know? And I hear the same thing from Trump and uh, from some Christians who supported him or some people who supported him. Finally, he's going to solve all of the country's problems when it comes to immigration or whatever. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I've seen this play before. Mm. I, I doubt it. Mm. I doubt it very much. I pray that he would, you know, solve a lot of the problems the U.S. has. But, you know, I'd also say that I don't know if it's kind of really going to be as bad as some people say that personally. I, 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 I don't. I think some of the fear is overstated and some of the hope is overstated mm. um, in those regards. I will say this, though, uh, if I were an African-American person who grew up in the United States and, and has at every turn been treated with disregard by a lot of a lot of the white populace not on purpose necessarily but maybe institutionally so that I can't drive through a certain part of town without feeling like people are looking at me or uh, every time I'm dismissed by someone I think immediately that it's because of my color because that's happened so often and it happens so frequently after a while you're like hmm. Hmm. like when I was in New Zealand it seemed to I was treated a certain way quite often. And people jumped to conclusions about me quite often because I was an American. And even so, so even when somebody would jump to a conclusion and treat me a certain way, I'd always assume that it was because I was an American, even if it wasn't the case. You imagine living with that your whole life, not the American thing, but the, that you're Af- because you're African American, people think that you're this whole set of things or you're more dangerous or whatever. So finally, you, the United States elects a black president and you actually, you, you buy into the hope. You buy into the idea that maybe there's going to be a, a day where that's, that's going to change, you know, especially in the South of the U.S. Hmm. And then the next guy who gets elected is a guy who, you know, is arguably one way, we can debate this. There's some articles on the internet that have a lot of validity that question how, whether Trump's comments really were racist or whatever. I, I don't even want to get into that. But the perception of him by the media and others, whether it's right or wrong, the perception of the man is that he's racist and people who have listened to the man, right? They think that they're, they feel emboldened now to come out and say things. Yeah. I think that's, that's the thing that I've heard from different articles and stuff that people are, are afraid of who are visible minorities or even women in in the states right. are, are are afraid not necessarily of everything from a, a a political standpoint or a policy standpoint, but from what this election has dug up yeah. of the underbelly of racism, misogyny, right, horrific things that are being said towards people of different backgrounds ethnically and so you have you religiously. Have- so the crazies are out. That's my yeah, point. And this exactly. is, they're emboldened. They feel like they can say stuff. Some lady in, in, in some, some pol- holding political office in a small town in West Virginia decides to call the first lady of the United States an ape in heels. That's outrageous yeah. and hateful and disgusting. And you can, and she, she lost her job, that woman, rightfully so. Um, and others, I've been told stories, personal stories from people in the United States who are, uh, you know, of various um, minorities and just the stories they're telling about people who supposedly voted for Trump and, and how they're treating people. And it's, listen, those are all anecdotal. And if you're, if, if you might be saying, well, don't buy into that hype and stuff. I'm not, I'm not actually buying into any hype. I'm just saying that that's happening with some people. Mm-hmm. 
So you can understand if you're a black father and you're telling your kids now, what kind of world are they going to live in in the next four to eight years? Mm. I think you're, you're a little bit fearful mm-hmm. about what, what could happen mm-hmm. and what, because the crazies are out. Mm-hmm. And you're a little, you know, you remember a time in the past when the crazies were out. So anyway, my point here is that <clears throat> real or real or perceived, right? That fear is something that we as Christians should understand or at least um, show empathy toward. Right? There's, we, there's, there should be nobody living in our society anywhere who is afraid of their life. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and, and when I say anybody, I mean, I, I there, there should be there should be no one who fears for 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 their peace. Okay, we I'm not agree with what they do or think or whatever, but the, we we as Christians should be supporting peace at every place we go, and so as a result, I I kind of want to interact with the question by saying, look, we should be the peacemakers. Isn't that what we're Isn't that what we're supposed to be? As Jesus was the Prince of Peace, and He called us in the Sermon on the Mount to said, "Blessed are those peacemakers," and so. I just think that's not, so this is a time that we can be that. Mm. What that's going to require probably is for us to drop our allegiances to our political parties and to our nationalism in favor of 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 our Christian identity, mm. loving our brothers and sisters to some degree. Mm. Uh, that's that's different. Probably repenting of our nationalism in some ways. Mm. So anyway, I, I but. See, I've said all that sort of stuff. So on the flip side, I also want to say that you have to understand, I mean, you know, the reasons why it is that Trump got elected were, um, I mean, there's a lot of them. I don't believe in a single cause. It's a fallacy. But but there's one big overriding. The people I knew who voted for Donald Trump in the United States voted for him because they're sick and tired of for, for the coastal liberal elites telling them how they think is is how the liberal coastal leaks, how they think is right and how anyone who disagrees with them is a racist or a bigot or whatever. And so, and people get tired of being told that even though they, they're like, I'm not, I just want to ask significant questions regarding, I mean, I may disagree with you regarding your viewpoints on sexual ethics. And that's all of a sudden makes me homophobic when I, I have no, I have no ill will towards somebody who's homosexual. I don't want to hurt them or anything. I want to protect their rights to live and, and breathe in, in the community and, and support their rights to work and do all sorts of things. But I don't think I should have to be forced to agree with their lifestyle and say that it's right in order to, you see what I mean? Mm. So I think, I think that that's the impulse of a lot of people. And so a lot of people were just said, you know what? I don't want Hillary Clinton to be president because she's just going to keep push, pushing that agenda. And so, and I can appreciate that side of it. I really can because I mean, I'm, I get tired of being told that I'm, I'm stupid because I'm a, I mean, I'm, I have a doctorate, and I, but I'm stupid because, and I don't see things right because I don't, I don't hold the politics that those people do, which I don't hold their politics because I don't have your worldview. Mm. But anyone who doesn't agree with us is dumb mm. and idiotic. And you can still hear that in, the, in a lot of the press. You can hear that in a lot of college campuses even now that those people who disagree with us are actually hate mongers and wicked. And I don't, so I, I probably sound like I'm sitting on the fence with this and I probably, cause I am in many ways. I understand why it is that people voted for Donald Trump in the United States. I also understand what it's like. I, I think I understand what it would be like to be somebody who has grown up in a society that they feel like they, they are a second class citizen in and they finally got a little bit of hope thinking that it was going to get better. And that was in their minds anyway, dashed. Hmm. So I don't know what's the way forward, Greg. In the United States, anyway, I think to be Christians, all the answers are in 
yeah. what the scriptures call us to be. Well, I mean, I, I this is where again I'm I'm happily an Anab- an Anabaptist when I think of how the how the church should engage with the with the world around it, and I, I think that that background would encourage us to to take up the role of being prophetic in our speaking out against sin, whatever it is, if it's racism or misogyny or abortion or what, whatever the sin is, to be willing to be prophetic and stand up against it, even if it means we're going to be looked on poorly by a certain group in our society. And at the same time, we should be willing to praise the things that are good um, and the things that are be doing that, that are are going well and are are actually just and and fair and kind and regardless again of political party. So yeah. I think we need to be willing to to praise those things that are going well and to speak prophetically against those that aren't, which means all through it all we have to be happily Jesus citizens hmm. over and above our whatever national party or 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 nation we're a part of yeah if you're sitting next to somebody in a church who didn't vote your way i mean that's not a problem here in canada although i found it interesting that people in canada have been asking each other a question well who would you have voted for can i just tell you that's this is a non-starter mm. like why, why even bring that up mm. you, you're not voting you didn't vote uh, so i mean i think it's kind of funny that there are uh, you know hundreds of people right. in toronto and vancouver who are protesting a vote that they have nothing to do with and they would say well we do have some we have affected by it well and I could make that argument for the leadership of China too, but I don't see anybody protesting the leadership of China. Hmm. Um, or, yeah. So why, I, why I, is it? Because I, I was struck by this this election cycle that there is, I don't know, way more interest generally about American politics than Canadian politics. Yeah. Like I think when the there most, was an election. People don't, it, blech, whatever, it's a Canadian election, doesn't really matter. When it's an American election, Canadians lose their minds. <laughs> don't you think that some of it has to do with the fact that uh, it is, I mean, it still remains to be the president of the United States is the most powerful person politically in the world. Hmm. And they still call it leader of the free world, whatever. But they tend to be the most powerful political person. So it does affect everybody. There's no question about that. It's also a little bit more fun, and by fun I mean like interesting, because it is a two-party system, mm. and especially this year, because I think everybody, if you asked them before the, the election, uh, was like, I can't believe these are the two people that we're choosing mm. between. Mm. And I think most people were like, there's no way that Trump could win this. They, mm. Nobody thought Trump could win the, the Republican primary. And then to watch, I mean, those people I know who watched the elections coverage were like, I was getting texts from people all over the place. Are you watching this? Hmm. Are you watching this? This is crazy. This is crazy. There's no way he can, can he? And then in the end he, he, he won. And I think people are just like, you could actually see on the TV, people go through the stages of grief. Hmm. you know, the first of the denial, we're not calling it, we're not going to declare it, you know, even at two in the morning. They're like, we're not declaring this. We're not, mm. we're not. And then you see people on the news media come to acceptance or anger toward it, you know, tears and then acceptance in, um, in certain points. And I, and I don't know if we're yet to the point where everybody accepts it, but yeah, I think the Canadians get really into it because it's uh it's just a little bit more, I don't know, engaging, intriguing. Maybe it's only two parties and it's uh that sort of thing. I just don't think it should ever break the church up. I don't think it should, like, this is not in any way a place to fracture your relationship with your brother and sister in Christ. Mm. There's no reason at all. I have my own political beliefs. I do. But I, you know what, my, my friendship and my brothership, or I guess brotherhood, my sisterhood, 
with, with those in the body of Christ is uh, paramount. Mm. And it should be paramount. Mm. Mm. Yeah. The fact that it's not right now is probably an indictment on all of us mm. in, in many ways. Yeah. Mm. You know, the Supreme Court thing's a big issue. In the, just to add one little piece on top of this, which most people already know. I think that's one of the things I always want to tell Canadians to understand. When people, I've had people say, how could anyone vote for Trump? Um, and I, I've tried to explain the first piece that, well, I think a lot of people in the U.S. are getting tired of having certain people tell them they're idiots and bigots and whatever. But I think the other piece is for Christians anyway. I think that at the end of the day, Hillary Clinton guaranteed that she was going to elect judges hmm. who were going to support Roe versus Wade, which is the, the landmark uh, abortion case in the United States. So it's still legal to this very day for you to kill your unborn child up until the very moment that the child leaves the birth canal. You can kill the baby. And that is, in my opinion, the single greatest human rights atrocity of the last 50 years. It's obscene that this is the case in, in the United States and in Canada and other places. It's, it's outrageous. Mm-hmm. So Christians really feel that deeply, and they say, you know what, look, I, Anthony Scalia, one of the, one of the uh, Supreme Court justices, he died just a few months ago. Had he not died, I don't know if there would be quite as much support for Trump. But it's like it's a real challenge. Mm. He died. The Obama administration tried to get somebody in that in that seat before he left office. The Republicans said, "No, we're going to wait for the next president." They were hoping it would be Hillary Clinton. It's not. It's now it's Trump. And Trump, even though you might not agree with, think his his uh, politics, you know, agree. I, I don't. I don't trust him as a pro life man. I don't. He's been pro-choice for years and just recently has made comments to be pro-life. So I don't know what he holds, but he has guaranteed that he uh, that he will appoint a pro-life Supreme Court justice, which. Yeah. And then there's one other Supreme Court justice who's quite old, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And there's a chance she comes off the Supreme Court in the next 48 years. So there's a chance actually to turn the entire court toward a more pro-life position. If that were to happen. There is a chance that at some level there be huge restrictions placed upon abortion in the United States. Maybe not generally, but certainly at the state level, which means, quite honestly, means the saving of millions, millions of lives. Hmm. So that's a live issue. It's not a live issue in Canada. It's it, a live issue in the U.S. And it's, it's, it's presuming that with Trump, you have a chance he'll keep his word on it. <laughs> Whereas with Hillary, there was no, no, no chance way. of it moving in that no, direction. There's no way. Yeah, she was. I think people who are who are saying, "Oh, well, because he guaranteed it, we can trust that." I no. think they should be a little bit more skeptical totally. about the trustworthiness of his word. And yeah, yet, and it, it's a chance. And it was not an issue that he ran on. It's a, so, so it's, you're saying there's a chance yeah, moment. It is, uh, but he has to choose somebody for the yep. Supreme Court. The likelihood of him choosing somebody who's conservative is more likely than somebody who's not. So. That's the thing. And they, people have been criticized all the time for being one-issue voters. Oh, you can't be a one-issue voter. Um, I've been told that um, repeatedly, and which, to which I'm saying, why not? I'm, you know, why can't you be a one-issue voter? Something matters more to you than anything else, hmm. and, it's, and this is not a pun, but if it's the trump card for you, hmm. then I, I can understand why it is that somebody would do that. With all that said, Donald Trump is a very, very vile man. Okay, he is a morally questionable character. Not questionable. I'm trying to be nice about it. He's not morally upstanding. People are trying to make him sound like he is. He's not. 
He hasn't shown that anyway at this point. So I know he needs our prayer. I pray that the Lord, my prayer actually in the last few weeks has been that the Lord would save the man. Mm-hmm. And then I've also been praying that maybe through this particular dark time, the Lord would reach into Hillary Clinton's heart and turn her toward himself and that she would respond in faith. Wouldn't that be great? Mm-hmm. Like I just, what, wouldn't that be amazing if there was a, a real revival among the political elites in, in our world and country? Mm-hmm. That's what it, but that's the big issue, right, Greg? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the big, that's right. what we're all here about. Right. Right. Not, I mean, the other issues are important, but that's what we want to see is people to come to faith in Christ. Hmm. Okay. We're going to ask, uh, another listener question. I think we're probably only going to be able to get to this one for this episode. So here's the question. Um, it's from a, a listener having to do with this past weekend. The question was this weekend sermon was on Romans chapter three, verses nine through 20. And yet last week, we only went to the end of chapter two. So they read verses one through eight of chapter three and thought, hmm, there's some interesting stuff in there. Why did we skip those eight verses? And what was the motivation behind it? And what's going on there? We're embarrassed by those verses. <laughs> Is that we, the reason? We don't, we don't think they Why should Why didn't be, I preach those? We, we, they, they shouldn't be in the canon. <laughs> no. So here's a... I'm, I'm kidding, a, by the way. A bit of a background to help our listeners is part of our sermon writing process is what we call our sermon preview meeting. So we'll get in a room together, the preaching team and other staff members, and we'll review people's sermons from the past, but then we'll also spend some time looking at what's coming up the next weekend. And the people preaching will say, here's what I'm thinking of doing. Here's my outline that I'm thinking, is this a good direction with where the series has gone and where we, where it is going? So I came to the room with an outline that I thought would include verses one through eight. And then in the meeting, I was persuaded out of it. Yeah. Mostly by, I think I was a chief protagonist. Well, there were others in the room who said, actually, that's a pretty, that that, those two totally separate sermons that you'd have to preach in that circumstance. The material in Romans three, one to eight is actually picked up in Romans nine. So there's a really pragmatic answer about why we didn't, which is that, We'll get there. Yeah, we will. And uh, you could also say the other way. Haven't we covered the material in Romans 3, Romans 2 and 3 enough? And the answer is, yeah, absolutely. Romans 3, uh, great, the test you did this weekend, uh, is particularly, I felt bad for you, it's particularly pointed. Mm. It's, it is the crescendo to Paul's argument uh, condemning people. Uh, mm-hmm. under sin. And it's not him just condemning. He would say, no, yeah, I didn't condemn anyone under sin. They condemn themselves by not in their inability to keep the law. So I, yeah, we, we are trying to, we, we're going to deal with the questions regarding the Jew and Gentile issues as the, as they go, which they, they're huge issues mm-hmm. that go on in, mm-hmm. in the book of Romans, but we're not done with the book, but we wanted to make sure that ever, that, that we were really clear mm-hmm. regarding over the last number of weeks in particular, regarding the nature of Paul's argument, because here's the thing. Most of us are, are really reticent to believe what he's saying about us, right? We don't like it. We actually get angry when, when people say uh, that you're a sinner, or we might accept that language as long as you keep it general. But the more specific you get, right? The more you talk about, you know, their mouth, their lips are, what is it? The venom of asps or whatever yep. it is. But yep. like, 
the more you talk about the specific sins and the more that you talk about hypocrisy, which is what he does in Romans two toward people who are, think that they're righteous, think that they're upstanding, good people. Like you're poking, you're poking Mm. people in the ribs, Mm. church people in the ribs repeatedly. And Paul knows that. That's why he spends so much time on it. That's why he keeps kind of, he sort of doubles down. He keeps bringing up almost every objection that somebody might bring up to this case. And he's arguing against it and arguing against it. And then he reaches this crescendo in Romans 3, basically Romans 3, 9 to 20, where he quotes this Old Testament psalm. Hmm. And he's just, <laughs> he's, he, he approvingly says, no, this is all true. There's no one seeks God. And you're left at the end in this hole, hmm. this absolute dire hole. And there's, there's no way out. It's a hole you dug for yourself by rejecting God. You have no way of getting out. There's a ladder there, but you can't climb it. It's you know what I mean. It's it's a law. You have to climb it perfectly. You can't do it. You don't have. I mean, maybe to use the images. You don't have arms. You don't have legs. You don't have the ability to get out of the hole. The only way out is if someone comes and gets you out. So what are you gonna do? Hmm. And that's why, you know, in some ways, you, you, if we could preach the entire, if you got, if this could be a conference. We could do this where we do six sermons or five sermons in the beginning of Romans and then reach Romans three mm-hmm. and just Christian. I, I'm thankful to God that I get to be the one who preaches Romans <laughs> three this week because it's all good news, mm. right? We've been trying to include the good news along the way to give you foreshadow right. to what Paul's going to at the end. We wanted you to leave the church happy every week because you know that this is not the end of the story. Mm-hmm. You know that, but we also wanted you to feel the force of his words. And so that's why we chose to focus on that text. Yeah. In yeah. that, which of course we've gotten emails from people and it's not made them overly happy. There are people around who think that it's wrong or bad for to, to tell the, to tell about the, 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 the depravity of people in such stark terms. Mm. They think that that's, a, that's actually work of the devil. You know, he wants you to think badly about yourself, which by the way, is not true. That's <laughs> the devil wants you to think well about you. <laughs> yeah. Cause if you think really well about you, you think that you're doing just fine and everything's going great. Right. If you, if you, if that's going on, then he has lulled you to sleep and mm. you'll never search a search for a savior. All right. People who think everything's going well, they're out in their boat and everything's going well. And they're just floating right up top of the water and the engines are humming away and mm. everything's working perfectly. No one cries out, save me in that situation. It's the person who hits the iceberg. Mm. It's the one whose boat capsizes, who's drowning, who screams, save me. Mm. So you need to be aware of your depravity. You need to be aware of how in dire need you are. And that's why we talk about it so mm. that we can then talk about how great it is that he saved you. Mm. So one last question. It's, I think it'll be short. And then we'll, we'll wrap up. Uh, this question comes from a listener about Romans 2 and 3. And they say, it seems like there's a contradiction in Romans 2 and Romans 3 regarding justification by works and by faith. Because Romans 2, to this listener, makes it appear as though those who do what is right are going to receive eternal life. Verse right. Right. 6 of Romans 2. That if you do what is right, yeah. then you will receive eternal life. Even right. though other parts in the book of Romans say things like... Everyone stands before God uh, well, because of what, what Romans, they've done. Yeah, so re, I don't know. You have Romans 3.20 there. 
don't said, know. Well, Romans 3.20 says right that now. no one will be justified by works of the law. Right. So how do you equate that? On the one hand, the, the offer of like, look, if you do right, you'll be justified. And then Romans 3.20 says, well, no one will be justified by works of the law. So, so one of them, the first one, Romans 2, is providing you mm. the potential. You can be justified by works. You can. Or one could. Yes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the language, that's the right way to say it. One could be justified by mm. works. In Romans 3, though, Paul is saying nobody is. And the reason nobody is is because they can't do it. They're in the pit. They can't climb out. They can't climb out. Nobody's inclined to climb out. They don't even know half the time how deep the pit is. Sometimes they're, they're, they're rebelling against God and their consciences now have been seared to such a degree because they've been saying no to him so long. Their consciences have been seared that they don't even know what right and wrong is anymore. Like they're, that they're, they have, they have, uh, they're, they're debased or de- yeah, debased minds. That's what it says in Romans one. So look, the potential exists. I'm making a big deal about it. I think that's really important for you, for people to understand is Romans two is actually talking about the potential to obey God, right? Mm. Is, is there, the reality is not. Mm. It's important to make the point that potential is there though, because, um, there is one who did. This is why, this is the whole point that Paul's making in the end. And totally, I'm totally cool talking about it. I don't don't mind giving away the end (laughs) of the story. But what's so cool about the gospel is that when you get to Romans 3, what you end up seeing is, oh, so, so this, this Jesus comes along and he becomes the, he, he becomes not just the sacrifice paying for our sins, but he's the one who upholds the law on our behalf. So according to the rules, the rules are, according to Romans 2, that if you keep the law, you will receive the blessings of the covenant. You will receive, you will be blessed eternally. Okay. You'll stand righteous before God. Mm. You never do. As a result, you are condemned. So what you need is somebody to pay for your punishment. Stand in your place in that regard. And you need to receive Mm. their right standing or their obedience on your behalf. There needs to be a two-way. Like You need to have have a double dose. Maybe is the right way to say it. Mm. And... This is why it's so great. What Jesus has done in fulfilling the law on your behalf is not just made it that you have to have it. I'll say this this weekend, right? It's not just that you have to, you get a second chance. I hear that all the time. Oh, Christ died to give me a second chance. Rubbish. Hmm. Rubbish. He died to give you a second chance because if you had a second chance, you'd fail as bad as the first time. Hmm. Well, you want a third chance? Okay, do that. How about a fifth? How about a thousandth? How to, you know, you keep doing the numbers. You're not going to get it right, Right. What you need is someone who will do it for you. What Jesus died to do is to give you his, his righteousness, his obedience to the law. Hmm. I said something a few weeks ago in a sermon that people recoiled at or got frustrated with me. I said that God owes you. As a hmm. Christian, through faith in Christ, God owes you. My argument there stands. It's, I'm trying to say it as provocatively as I can because hmm. most of us don't even think about it that way. You don't realize that Jesus, the, the rules the existed. This is the, the, the emails pointing that out. No, the rule exists in Romans 2 that you, if you keep the law, you will receive commendation. You will receive the rewards of the covenant. Jesus keeps the law. And then he says, it's through faith in me that you receive my righteousness. So what does that mean? That means that God owes me. That means that God owes me the rights and blessings of the covenant. Not because of my, I did them, but because Christ did them. 
So that should blow your mind. There should be a scandal that goes off little warning bells. This is, I don't, I'm not surprised people write me an email about that. Say, you can't say that. That's outrageous, right? I know it's outrageous, but you have, again, you have no idea how deep in that pit you are and you have no idea how high Christ lifted you up. And I, I'll say this weekend, that gap between how deep you are in the pit and how high Christ is, has lifted you up. That gap, however big it is in your mind, is what will drive you to worship him. And if it's little, right, you're just a little tiny little hole in the ground and you just need a little hand up, right? And now he's been lifting you up so you get a second chance. Uh, yeah, you're not going to worship very much. And by worship, I don't mean just raise your hands in church services, although I do mean that. I mean like with your money and your life and words like living sacrifice and that kind of stuff. Like you'll worship, you won't worship God if that's what you think he's done. But if you believe that God has actually dragged you out of the pit, even when you didn't want it, right? You didn't seek him. He came down and he got you. He grabbed you by the scruff of the neck. He pulled you out so that you could see, finally see, and didn't just set you on level ground. He raised you up to the heights of God himself. And that in a hundred thousand years, see, I started crying about in a hundred thousand years, you will sit at the feet of Jesus, declared righteous, righteous. Mm. Man, I don't know. <laughs> I would think that you'd want to dwell on that gap. Mm. Yeah, I think I'd want to dwell on it every day because it changes the way you view your service to God. It changes the way you view what he's asking you to do, mm. regardless of what how much money. I mean, it's what Paul comes along and he asks questions like, uh, or he says when he's trying to get people to give money to an offering for the Jerusalem church, he says to the Corinthians, the, consider him who is rich who became poor that you might become rich. Mm. So in other words, don't do this because the law tells you to do it. Do this because Jesus, because of Jesus. So when you think about the sacrifice of Jesus who was seated on high and he came in and he saved you and he brought you and he, you know, that gap, when you think about that, how much money do you think you ought to respond with? Mm. <laughs> how many tears? How much outpouring of gratitude is anything too much to ask? So the answer, I'm sorry, you got me preaching, Greg. No, it's good. We're going to wrap you up. You should come this weekend totally. because I will say, maybe you, I will say all of that. I hope mm-hmm. uh, you and, better. And I will repeat it over and over again because it's the greatest news that there is. Right. So wherever you are in the world today, even our missionary friends, see the gospel makes up for even the robot. <laughs> There you go. Hey, we have a few pages of questions on our Google Doc that we have to answer yet. But if you have a question you want the podcast team to answer at some point, please send those into extra at northview.org and we will get to them. Lord willing, soon. And until then, we will see you at church on the weekend. Please.